0: Amen. Hey, thank Josh and the team, would you? We're glad that you're here. If you're online, we're glad that you're a part of that community as well. And, and we're so grateful that we have the technology we can all gather together, even if we're not in the same room together. A couple of things we'll mention before we jump in. Uh, we'll be taking communion here in just a few minutes. And so if you're at home and you need to gather some elements, now's a great time to do that. And you have some elements in front of you. And uh, when comes time for communion, if they're not near you, then uh, Cindy and our team will be sure that you have what you need. If you've been around uh, Castle Oaks for a bit and you're wondering about membership or you're not sure what it means to be a member or why you would even do that, we have a a class, a gathering called Roots at Castle Oaks. And uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. It's going to happen about a month from now on Sunday, December 5th. And so uh, we're going to welcome back our our dear friend John Martz for that Sunday, and he'll be here and teach us through uh, the membership gig. And uh, it's going to happen right after second service. We'll probably have it right here in this room so that we can stream it and all of that. And so you can register for that. Send us an email at info at Castle Oaks. That's on December 5th. We would love for you to be a part of that. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about Um, justice and righteousness and we uh, introduced you to our refugee ministry if that was news to you Uh, if you didn't watch you could watch the very first part of the message from last week and catch our interview with Christy Fuller and we talked in great detail about how it all works we'd love for you to be a part of that if you would like um, we mentioned our new family that we're partnered with through Lutheran Family Services, uh, Saeed and uh, his wife and children. And our hope was that this past week that they would move into their apartment, um, to, their, to their new home. But that did not happen this week. In fact, three different times uh, they have been ready to move in and some technicality in the paperwork or some issue has surfaced and they have not yet done that. Um, it appears that this will happen on Monday, tomorrow, and so our hope and prayer uh, is that that would be uh, able to just occur without any barriers or any other issues that would come up, and so we'll give you some news on that next week, but before we get into Monday, what we want to do is just pray as a church family, uh, that this would happen expediently and without hurdles or issues, and that Saeed And the family would get the keys to this place and that they would be able to move in and find some comfort and uh, and shelter there. So uh, why don't we do that right now? We'll pray for the whole team, uh, Saeed and his family. Lord, again, we come to you asking uh, for you to move on behalf, not on our behalf, but on behalf of this family that is finding themselves displaced from their home, from their country. And Lord, as they are in our company, in our midst, in our community, uh, we pray that whatever has been in the way would be removed that whatever issues have come up would be just dealt with and solved and we pray that they would in fact be able to move in tomorrow that they would find uh, shelter and comfort in the new place that uh, you have prepared for them and so for whatever uh has been in the way that is now appearing to be resolved, we pray that your power and your might uh, would continue to work this out, and we pray for it in your time, but we know that you uh, have all the resources, Lord, at your disposal, and that you can make this happen. Lord, tonight, when we, uh, wherever we have been during the day, uh, when we retire to our homes, Uh, And to the places where all of us enjoy and experience comfort and shelter, may you bring to mind Saeed and his family that we may offer prayers on his behalf, knowing and believing, Lord, that that when we ask you move and, uh, boy, we wish we understood the mystery of prayer, but we do know this, that you want us to bring every need that we have before you with open hands. And... uh, even with some ignorance about how that all works, we surrender this circumstance to you and we ask for you to do your thing in the life of this family. And we're grateful for the team that's working. Give them what they need, the resources they need. and, uh, And we thank you for answering this. In the power of Jesus' name, we all pray together and we say amen. So we're really grateful. Last week, many needs were met. Uh, it was right after first service that I think the need for a bed and mattress was was met. Um, uh, Christy picked up some furniture this week uh, with some help to have ready for the family. And so all those things are falling into place. Uh, just keep watching E! News for any other needs that may come up, and we'll try to meet them as a church family. And so as we're in this series called Follower, we're going through uh, this section in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And I really can think of no more applicable or maybe helpful or maybe a little sandpaperish kind of passage than this passage that will help us. Because I think it's a passage that maybe we had an understanding of if you grew up in the church that maybe is a little different than maybe, I believe, than what Jesus had intended when he said what he said and this is how he said it. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus says this. In fact, say the first sentence with me. We'll all say it together, just that first sentence. You ready? Here we go. You are the salt of the earth. And you're familiar with this phrase, salt of the earth. Not just because Jesus said it, but mainly because he said it. But there are times when we have referred to somebody as being salt of the earth or somebody's just a, a good person, a hard worker. They take care of their stuff. They are dependable, reliable, or whatever it is that your family meant when they said something like this. How many of you have described somebody as being salt of the earth? Anybody? Okay. It's kind of an older phrase, but when we say it, we mean good and honorable things. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Then he goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And right after the Beatitudes, Jesus begins to describe who we are and how we are to be. And he says to us, you're salt of the earth. He doesn't stop there. He gives us another analogy. He says, say it with me again, just the first sentence. You ready? You are the light of the world. And then he goes on to describe a city or a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Then he gives us a little more texture to this light business. And he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your, what? What does he want to see? Your what? Good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Some texture, why it's true. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And so Jesus gives us these two thoughts that he lays out and he wants us to know, look, you're you're salt of the earth and you're light of the world. And before we even talk about what this means or how we would live this out, we at least first need to acknowledge that these two ideas have sort of lost their punch today. They have lost their maybe wallop that Jesus used or had at his disposal culturally when he said, hey, I, I want you to know, if you're, if you're wondering what it means to be a disciple of mine or a follower of me, you need to know that you're salt of the earth and, and you are light of the world. And, They mean different things to us today. Our culture is different. I mean, look, if if you've been to the doctor in the last year or two or three or four, whatever, and you got some blood work done, I am absolutely certain you didn't sit in that doctor's office. And I know the doctor did not say to you, you know, what you need is more salt, he didn't say that. And the reason he didn't say it is because our diets are just filled with salt. What he said to you is, I don't know what you're doing, but you need less salt. You need to knock that off. I don't know, potato chips or peanuts or, you know, too many tortillas. Whatever it is, you need less salt. You have too much. And so when you buy the crackers, you need to buy the crackers that say what? Low sodium. You need to knock it off. You're getting too much. Look at you. Because when you have too much salt, you retain water. When you retain water, some things get out of balance in your system, and he can give you all—you know, hypertension, high blood pressure. There are so many things that can happen when you have too much salt. It's a little different than today. Even light—even light is different today. When Jesus walked the earth, light was a commodity. It's not anymore. Light was unique. Light required. Tallow or some sort of fat and maybe a wick. It was the Romans that first invented or maybe made at least common use of the the wick that we would turn into a candle eventually. But now we have places that are, well, I've mentioned that we've camped in a few places that are certified dark sky locations. Why? Well, there's too much light. What's the word? Pollution. Pollution. Light now is is now connected to the idea of pollution. So we, we've got too much salt, we've got too much light, and then we open up the Bible and Jesus comes along and says, you are salt of the earth and you are light of the world. And Not only that, we characterize these two things, especially salt, with things that are bad and bad for us. And so what did it even mean? In addition to all of this, the words, especially the word salt or salty, has a different meaning today than it did then. In fact, if you look up on dictionary.com, one of, the, one of the sayings, one of the ways that salty is understood when somebody gets a little salty, right? Irritated and angry, resentful, especially as a result of losing or being slighted. So how are we doing with being salty these days? Pretty good, pretty salty, when you come across somebody, maybe in a, I don't know, public setting, engagement work, pass somebody on the road, and you might say, just you might even use the word in this exact way. Man, I'm telling you what, that Bob, he's a little salty. No offense to any Bobs in the room, just, just the general Bob. And so this, this definition, by this definition, we're doing pretty good at being salty these days. But that's not what Jesus meant. You are salt of the earth? No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. And it's not only these layers. There's a whole other layer of, of salt of the earth and even light of the world. It's more complex than that for us. Some of us have been around other believers at times, whether it's been at work or maybe in our family or maybe you're downtown and you see somebody with a bullhorn and a sign and somebody is taking their understanding of what it means to be salt of the earth, and light of the world, to mean something very different than we would like for it to mean. And so they maybe are taking the words of Scripture and using them as a weapon or maybe pouring salt into an open wound and rubbing it in. Or maybe they perceive themselves to be light of the world because in dark places, you know, nothing good grows in dark places. And so we're going to shine the light of God onto the wickedness or the evil of the world I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've watched somebody and you know what they're doing is because of their faith, what they're saying or how they're acting, how they're living is because of their faith, and you have shrunk back and thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I'm not like that. I don't know that I want to be associated with somebody who's acting or speaking or coming across in that way. They're a follower of Jesus, but I, I am too, but not... Not like that. And they might say, hey, you know, what's your deal? I'm just being salt and light. You should do the same. And you thought, I don't know. I don't know if they're helping or hurting. But I don't think I want to be that way. They're being, I don't know, maybe a little salty, right? And yet, in the middle of this whole idea, Jesus says, you, you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are light of the world. This part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to take a turn in how he's speaking. You remember in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who, right, who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And Jesus is maybe calling out people among us that have certain qualities or characteristics. and, And he's saying the kingdom belongs to these people, So if you are this way, if you are somebody who is mourning and and poor in spirit, if you are somebody who is meek, or then the kingdom belongs to you. But now Jesus looks at his entire audience and he says, collectively and inclusively, you are these things. You are. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. So let's let's just take a moment today, especially in the context of our our current world and divisiveness and hatred and culture, and peel back the layers of our understanding and see if we can give it a a bit of a new meaning and walk away with a, a new resolve to how we will be salt and light, what that might even look like, okay? So when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he says this first of all, to people in the first century. And in the first century, the, the world, the entire world, was really, relatively speaking, in terms of time and history, just beginning to understand the properties, the qualities, in fact, the importance and the essential nature of salt. I mean, it had been used many centuries already, but the very essential nature, the, the value of salt was becoming a really big deal, especially in the Roman world. They would have maybe, some historians believe they built their commerce around the idea of the value and the commodity of salt. They began to discover what it could do in terms of being a preservative. And you know this. In the days before refrigeration was even a thing, before it even existed, salt was able to preserve in ways that nothing else could they found out that when they ploughed a field that contained salt that crops began to grow much more fruitfully in places like that and so in places that didn't have salt they added it to the soil as a fertilizer anything that had some salt content so that the crops would grow more plentifully deeply more richly they began to see that salt had incredible value it adds essential components and we know some of these things today, they're still true. This is important for soil, for farmers, that it adds flavor. This is why we add salt. In fact, salt is like the king of the spices, isn't it? I mean, it adds flavor of its own, but it also comes alongside almost every other spice that you add and makes it explode with flavor too, a little bit differently. And so so we know this, that, that salt, first of all, is a commodity, began to be traded, in fact, Roman soldiers were paid with Roman money, but also with a measure of salt. This is why the saying became a saying. Is that person worth their what? Are they worth their salt? This is part of their pay. It became a commodity. It became essential to life. And they knew this, that whatever you're using your salt for, either in the dirt or in your diet or In you, it makes everything better. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. We would just be beginning to understand the power of salt and what it does. And what Jesus knew, because in him all things were made and through him all things were made. That our journey of discovering the, the beauty and the intricacy, and in fact, indeed, the essential nature for salt would extend beyond our world out here, and we would begin to understand it in our world in here. And so what medical doctors know today is that salt is essential for life. You need it in your body. Now... We try to reduce salt in our modern day diets, but if you were to eliminate salt from your diet, you would die. It would cause you to cramp and all kinds of uh, horrible, not fit for sermon descriptions would happen to your body. And because you didn't have salt, you would experience eventually death. Salt moves in your body in such unique and powerful ways. It allows Moisture and water, liquids of various kinds in your body to move from one cell to another. It transports nutrients. It allows your body to have electrical impulses happen where otherwise they would not happen at all. And so your nerves need salt. Your brain needs salt. Your entire body needs salt. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. There isn't any fundamental understanding of salt that wouldn't help you understand what this scripture means or what it means how to live and why Jesus would say, you are salt of the earth. Then he comes alongside that and adds this to it. You are light of the world. This is a little bit different. When Jesus says, you're salt of the earth, he he uses this Greek word for salt, basic understanding. But then he says, you're salt of the earth, meaning you're salt that comes from the ground or from the dirt. When Jesus says you are light of the world, he's saying something a little bit different. He's not using the, the terra firma or this understanding of the globe to give us a picture. He says you are light of the cosmos. That's the Greek word He uses. Jesus goes to the earth, and then he goes to the sky for this analogy. And he gives us a picture. In fact, the the word, the Greek word for light is phos, P-H-O-S, which is in so many words of our English language, transliterated into things like photo or photography or phosphate, you name it. Anything with that prefix or portion of the word in another word means light, is necessary. If you're a photographer among us, then you know how critical light is and what you can do with just a little bit of light to make a photography experiment or a particular photo you're trying to take look incredible, unique. But without light, photography is impossible. And Jesus says, you are the phos, the light of the cosmos. Light has a big, huge, massive importance in Scripture, literally and figuratively. You remember the days of Genesis, Genesis 1, where everything was dark and chaotic and a void, emptiness. And before God could create growth or life or anything that was green or anything that moved, he had to create what? And so he said, let there be let there be light, and there was. When the prophet Isaiah is trying to describe the state of the world before Jesus, he says this, the people, well, they walked in a great darkness. It was dark, very, very dark, until a light came into the world. When John begins to write his gospel and tell of the birth story, he says that in him was the light of the world. The light was among us. We understand the nature of this physical light because we need it to live. We need it to experience all that we want to experience. And it has meaning like this all through Scripture. And so Jesus says to me and to you, you are the light of the world. These two simple ideas is how Jesus characterizes who we are as followers. Followers of Jesus, followers of the way, you are salt of the earth and you are light of the world. So what does that mean then? If the ideas don't quite translate into our culture or our time, Well, we still have salt, and we still have light, and they still bring about these same characteristics. So I would boil it down to two simple thoughts, what this means for me and for you. And the first would be this. You are essential. Both of these are essential. You cannot extricate their essential quality from them and the roles, the functions that they perform in this world. And you might like to believe that you're extra or that your presence is not even necessary or that you're not even sure what you add to the equation of all things. But I believe Jesus, when he says that you are salt of the earth and light of the world, one of the things he's saying is this, you matter and you're essential. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, whatever relationships you're in, whatever your job is, whatever your duties are through the day, However you contribute, you are essential, just like these two things. And when you show up, when you make your presence known, when you arrive, you do your part, you contribute. What is your part? What is it that you contribute? Now, don't Don't worry about your ego right now or or even pride sneaking in. Set those things aside for a moment and understand that if God created you in his image, if you bear his fingerprints, if you have within you his very nature, then he has placed you in the places that you're in for a very specific purpose. What do you bring? What does it mean? What does it look like? And you know what it means when I say show up, right? Sometimes you show up and you're there. I mean, you're obviously physically there and you just take up some space just because of your physical nature. And sometimes you show up and you're not really there in in mind or in heart or in spirit, but occasionally you walk into a room and you interact with people and you feel like you are bringing your presence to that gathering or to that family discussion, or to the aisle in the grocery store. Wherever you are, you feel present. I believe that when Jesus says that you are salt and you are light, he's saying, look, wherever you are, show up and be present. You are essential. You're not extra. You're not something that we can take or leave. You bring an essential nature of who you are to every place you might arrive the same way Hannes did to the keyboards this morning or Larry did to the drums or Josh did behind the mic with his guitar or Amy did as she orchestrated the camera angles for our online audience. You are essential in every way. And it goes even beyond that. That's the biggest idea I think, but even maybe more all-encompassing is this idea. When Jesus is saying you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, I think he's saying this to each one of us. Look, whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever it looks like, I want you to make it better. Make it better. it's, It's what salt does. It's what light does. I want you to make it better. Bring something. Add it that will make life better. This could be for your coworkers, could be for your friends, it could be for your family. Donna has a coworker that she worked with for many years in her work setting and this this coworker, you know, Donna works at the Denver Hospice, which is a a little bit of uh, news that when she explains her profession for example in a in a, a maybe a party setting or you know, it's it's kind of a mood killer, you know. Um, no pun intended, um, but Donna, Donna will say, you know, she's an RN, and they'll say, well, what, what, where do you work? And she says, well, I work for Denver Hospice. And you can just feel sort of the mood dip a bit in the room, and, and it just takes a minute you know, to come back. It, in the setting that Donna works in, she worked with this one coworker who, whenever she walked in, whenever she was present, you could feel the mood of the room just begin to lift a little bit. And she was clever. She was thoughtful. She was attentive to other people in the room. And she was just hilarious. She had a a little bit of a a stage personality, if you will. And so she, every time she walked into a rounds meeting or found herself with nurses in a circle around the charge desk or maybe in the lunch area to a place that is mostly about tending to the very serious needs of families she brought a sense of joy and levity whenever she was there. And Donna would see her coming and she would think, here comes Susan. And lift her heart a bit. Make it better. I don't know what you bring to a meeting or a discussion, a family gathering. Some of you bring levity and joy. Some of you bring compassion and empathy, and you bring a sense of people being known and seen no matter where you are. Some of you are such strategic thinkers that people know that when you come to the meeting or when you have a discussion about what's needed at home or in the family context, whenever you're going to contribute, they know they're going to get Better answers, more thoughtful, using resources in good ways. This is how your mind works. And you might think it's boring, but the people around you find it incredibly insightful and they love it when you bring your insight to the table. What do you bring? Look, you've been made in the image of God. Of course you are essential as he is. But even more than that, wherever you are, Salt and light, you can make it better, better in powerful and unique ways to where you walk into a setting, you walk into a meeting, you walk into a gathering, and somebody sees you and they say, look who's here. They're here. This is going to be better. And it's better because, well, it's whatever your uniqueness brings to the table, That's what you want. That's why God made you. That you would be salt and light in a world that is dull and lifeless and dark. And you can bring this salt and light because you bear the image of God. Show up. You're essential. Not only do you want to show up, but when you're there, make it better. That's all you have to do. And so maybe... Maybe this week, as you engage in your world, everything around you, before you walk into a conversation or make a phone call or send a text, maybe your simple, short, thoughtful prayer can be, Lord, whatever you do through me, may you, through me, make it better. That's all. Maybe for somebody to know or be seen, be heard, to be understood, Or maybe I bring a component that nobody else around the table has, but help me be salt and light. Help me to make it better through them. Now, I'll be honest, this is really hard to do right now because we're all a little salty, aren't we? And you're around lots of salty people. And when you're around lots of salty people and it brings out your saltiness, not in the good Jesus kind of way, then. We find ourselves maybe degrading or not making things better. When John writes his gospel, he frames this meal that we're about to engage in around the cross, and he uses, of course, the Last Supper to frame the cross. To do that, John uses a very unique incident that only he writes about, And it is the moment that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And there's one little verse in John 13 that he just sort of slips in with amazing clarity, incredible conciseness that gives us a picture of Jesus' mindset right before he begins to wash their feet. And and I believe that if your hope and your goal is to make life better this week, that if you remember these few things that are mentioned, that it will help you do that. Here's what John says about Jesus. And I've broken it up for you just so you can read it a little more in parts and you can see it. All that I've added is some underlining and some numbers. But this is the verse straight out of the, well, one and a half verses out of the NIV. Jesus knew this. Here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew three things. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. And when he did this, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he got to work washing the disciples' feet, which really for John, as he writes his gospel, is just the first step to the cross. It leads to the cross. And so what did Jesus know? What did Jesus know? And what was this meal he got up from? Well, the meal he got up from is, is this meal. And so if you're at home, you can grab your elements and have them ready. And if you have the elements in front of you and the elements will be passed around, you can have them ready, but we'll take it in unison as a church body today. And so we'll take it as I take it, you'll take it together, we'll take it all in one group. And so when Jesus got up from the meal that he had, he knew these three things. First of all, he knew this, that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, you and I, we would love to have all things under our power. In fact, most of the issues that we have in this life that create friction and issues and problems, either our own or between us and other people, those problems happen because we try to grab control but we surrender that control. Jesus still has all things under his power. And so we surrender our control to Jesus. And we say, I don't know where I'm headed, Lord, but you do, so I'll follow you. I don't know what's gonna happen next, but you do, so I'll follow you. But then Jesus knew these other two things, and these we have in common with him. We know these things to be true. Number two, he knew that he had come from God. You know the same thing about yourself. That you bear the image of God. And that your creation, that you were knit together in your mother's womb, that God put you together in a very unique way, bearing his image. But then Jesus also knew this, that he was returning to God. And these three things meant that he had the resolve to go do what he needed to do. These three truths helped him move forward, wash the feet, and go to the cross. Look, you've been called to make things better. You've been called to be essential in this world and in God's kingdom. And as this kingdom begins to take root, God is looking for me and you to love like he loves, to show up knowing that we're essential. Otherwise, he wouldn't have even breathed his life into us. And we can do that because we have this confidence. Jesus is in control. You and I, we have come from God. And we will return to God. This little pause in between is the moment that God gives us to make life better. And we can do that because of this meal. And so Jesus, among his friends, he held up the bread and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And he tore it the way his flesh would be torn and he handed it to his friends and he said, take and eat. And so they took and they ate. Let's do that together. And then he took a cup and the cup held the the blood of the new covenant, Jesus said. And when he held this cup up, a cup of Passover, he said, this blood represents the new covenant. And Jesus had described the new covenant this way. You and I are now friends. There's no enmity between us. We are reconciled. And he handed it to his friends and he said, as often as you drink of this cup, do it to remember me. And so they took the cup and they drank as we do now. the gifts of God for the people of God and so Lord we ask in this moment as we remember this holy meal the sacrament of communion as we here in this place and online we've we've taken the bread and the cup into us we believe Lord that you've called us into this kingdom that is here and now to make life better for those around us to be salt and light to show up to be present knowing that we're essential to whatever moment we find ourselves in and so Lord with all of this in mind we now come to you with open hands believing and knowing that you accept us and that you love us and that you have created us to bear your image to a world that is dull and lost its flavor and is very dark so may we be salt and light in places may we make life better for those around us wherever we are this week. So Lord, we come to you now. Would you meet us here in this place? We ask this in the name of Jesus. And we all say together, amen.